Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. Greening Law is a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. They fight the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 239, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And we will dazzle and entertain a lot today as we are recording this right after the Dallas Mavericks just knocked off Phoenix. They have evened their second round playoff series Two games apiece, all kinds of thoughts as we will dive into that. Even got a little Stars talk for you here as well because, man, you talk about a surprise. What we have seen from the Dallas Stars in the playoffs so far. And Jacques finally watched the end of Ozark. (laughs) So that's good news because that means we can talk about it now. So we do have a bit to get to. But before we do that, as always, this is possible because of people like Robert Greening and his green team. If you found yourself coming out of the weekend in a car accident, if you have been experiencing malpractice at a physician or from a hospital, maybe you were injured on the premises of a business this weekend, you need to call the lawyers at Greening Law. This is what they do. They become your fierce legal competitor against these insurance companies. Dude, what the Green Team does is they take care of all the details for you. And anybody who's a sports fan, knows that the difference between winning and losing is often the details. So, they hip you to what questions are going to be asked. They hip you to questions that you didn't know were going to be asked. They take care of all the little stuff to help you thrive. And all it does, all it requires for you to pick up the phone, give them a call, and say, hey, here's the details of my case. What do you guys think? And if they bring you on as a client, (laughs) it's been your lucky day. It is indeed. It'll go a long way for you with what they can do for you. And it's simple because, as you said, I mean, the consultation is absolutely free absolutely free to find out do you have a case 972-934-8900 again that number is 972-934-8900 it's robert greening offices dallas texas which is where we watched i gotta tell you man the way that this game four started out and really before we even get into that just like the bird's eye view of what we were talking about when we recorded the podcast on thursday afternoon and then we see game three and game four on Friday and Sunday. This is a, I feel like we're watching a different Dallas Mavericks team. They get home, they do what they need to do. I mean, we, both of us on Thursday were going, well, hope they don't get swept. Well, I mean, I think it was, um, I think I'd like to say you're a little stronger than that than me because um, now they looked overmatched. 
but I think we all thought, okay, let's see what happens when they go home where the role players will play better and, you know, you should get some juice from the home crowd and, and let's see. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was, I'm shocked that it's 2-2. I will tell you I'm shocked that they basically took care of the Suns in both games uh, because it didn't look like that. It looked like they might have to steal one um, uh, to even the series. And I'm not going to be mad at you if you say, well, they stole game four because this was kind of a fluky, weird game, and they still didn't put it away until about four minutes left. Yeah, and to me, I, I, like today watching this game, I, I don't think they stole this game. I mean, they were in control the entire time, and really once they got going, Phoenix never got within five points. That's as close as well, they got. And I thought early on, I was like, my God, this is going to turn into another Mother's Day massacre. Well, when I say steal the game, I put – and this might be a good conversation. Then this is what we do. See, I put this in the fluky category game, even though they led wire to wire. And I say that because Chris Paul is not going to foul out of very many games. He's not going to have very many games with four first-half fouls and basically play five minutes in the second half. And you're not going to hit a franchise record, whatever it was, 23-pointers on a regular basis. So you did all of that, and we can't really count on that happening again. And so it's great that it happened because if for you to win the series – you need you need because you're not the better team. So you need to get one however you get one. They got one like this on a night where Luka didn't even play that great. And so, um, I mean, it was a great win. They It was a – see, let me ask you this. I really never felt comfortable with the, that they were going to win this game, even when Chris Paul went out, until about three minutes left. Interesting. I felt comfortable because, again, like even – and there are multiple times when they had like a 17-point lead early in the first half. Right. And then Phoenix chiseled away and had it – they got it like within six or seven. And then Dallas went into the half with a 12-point lead. Then coming out in the third quarter, the Mavs were ice cold. I mean, ice cold. And Phoenix chiseled exactly. away and got it down to five. And then the Mavs got it back up to 12. And it just felt like they had this buffer where Phoenix just could not quite get them – and that's exactly what happened. I mean, to me, they controlled this thing the whole way through. Even when they were cold, they still didn't go cold long enough, and they started playing better defense, making it a little bit more frustrating, I think, on Phoenix. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, these two wins in Dallas are obviously they're huge wins. You've evened the series. You've shown that you can beat this team. You've shown that you can go neck and neck with them. And now it'll be interesting going back to Phoenix because like you bring up, Chris Paul fouls out. I mean, he barely played in the second half. And even, even in game three, he wasn't very good. I mean, he only had 12 points, I think, in game three was a minus eight. And that's what's interesting. But like the flip side of this, you could sit here and say, okay, well, the other night, Devin Booker and Chris Paul were just kind of ho-hum. And then tonight, Devin Booker goes ballistic and the Suns still lost by double digits. Yeah, no, I think um, I think the thing for the Suns is the Mavericks have figured out, at least for two games, how to slow Chris Paul down. Uh, some of that is, is the defenders, whether it's Reggie Bullock, whether it's uh, Dorian Finney-Smith on him. Uh, even uh, Frank Talenka came in and did a little work on him. Um, so all of that is good because they're taking the series deep. And, you know, we can't forget he is, what, 37 years old, and the minutes add up. But, uh, you know, dude, they did what they had to do. They managed to get it back. It's 2-2. They feel good about themselves. And to me, the interesting thing is we've had four basic blowouts. Game five, to me, will be the one that's nip and tuck all the way. Yeah, the, well, it'll actually come down with an opportunity for somebody maybe to hit a last-second shot to win. But 
It was, a, it was an interesting game today. As you alluded to, they hit 23s, which was they hit 23s in that Mother's Day massacre over the Lakers. And it was interesting to me. Now, obviously, that game was, I mean, the Mavs won that game by like 40 points or whatever it was back in 2011. And, you know, that was a game in which Jason Terry hit 9 of 10. Tonight, Dodo goes insane and hits 8 of 12. Peja Stojakovic in that game hit 6 of 6. And then Bertans comes in and immediately hits 4 of 4. And I, I just thought some of the parallels were interesting. Like you talked about, you're at home. These role players for the Mavs, especially in this game, because Luka was not special tonight. He was 9 of 25. And you look at his line and you're like, well, we say he was off, and he was. He still finished with 26, 7 boards, and 11 assists, but 26 points on 25 shots. And he, you and know, man, good. I don't have very much criticism of Luka, but tonight, man, was a night where sometimes he got it, and then sometimes he's like, oh, I'm just going to take these shots. It's like, Yeah, dude. yeah, there was a couple times where like, I was like, come on, man, like, you got to realize you don't have it tonight. Exactly. I'm like, tonight's not your night. Yeah. So, you and tonight is some other people's night, so you don't even have to force it, dude, uh, unless you're going to take it to the bucket. Uh, tonight is your, your jumper's not working tonight, so I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I feel badly for you. Uh, but just dial it back a minute, bro, yeah. and uh, you know, let everybody else eat today. Yeah, I thought so, man, because, like, I mean, there were multiple times where, like, his shot, for whatever reason, it just wasn't falling. I mean, he had some good looks. They just weren't falling, and that right. happens sometimes. But w- what I liked that we got from the Mavs in this one was you got the 24 from Dorian Finney-Smith. You got 18 from Jalen Brunson. You got 12 points from Bertans coming off the bench, like I said, hitting those four threes. Dinwiddie gave you 10. Even Maxi Kleba had 11 points. So even though Luka wasn't dominant, the collective of what this team was that wasn't there in games one and two, very much so more present in these Dallas games in games three and four. And and you can make a case. The reason why they've even this series, Luka's going to do what he does. I mean, we saw a floor game from Luka tonight. Like that's his floor. Right. But the rest of the team has to rise up when he plays one of those types of games, and that's what they did tonight. And they end up they win by ten because of that. Yeah. So no, nah, it was a it was a good performance, and you're right, man. When Bertans came in filling it up, my first thought was, oh, he's going to have his patient Stoyakovich moment. We may not ever <laughs> we may not ever see him again this series, but he he helped them win a game. That's exactly what I was thinking, dude. And then Dodo started getting hot, and I was like, man, just the parallels. It's on Mother's Day. At one point, it it looked like, and this is kind of a testament to Phoenix. I mean, when they were up by 17, the Mavs were, I thought they were about to, to throttle this thing and put it away. And Phoenix just refused to go away and, and kept trying to struggle it and push it. You know, part of that was Devin Booker going off for 35 points. He had himself a game, hit some big three-pointers, had that one in the corner there late. But the Mavs are just too much, and this is really interesting, man. This is a very interesting series all of a sudden. And and another thing that's got to frustrate Phoenix, they have now turned it over 16 times, 17 and 17 times in the last three games. They only had once all year did they turn it over 17 times or more in back-to-back games. They only turned it over 16 times or more 13 times all year, and they've done it in three straight games against the Mavs, which is showing you that defensively the Mavs are doing something that's affecting Phoenix. Yeah, I think I think their their guys are putting the pressure on uh, Chris Paul. They're putting pressure on Booker. They're deflecting balls. They're being active, and they're playing enough defense that they're drawing some offensive fouls, which I, which uh, you know go into the turnover bracket. 
and they're doing all the little things at the at the crib that uh, that put them in position to win these games. Um, I think the best thing about these wins is it should eliminate the can we compete with Phoenix thought process. Yeah. You know, Phoenix had beaten them, what, 11 in a row? And I keep telling people, like, I don't really care what happened. I Personally, I don't care what happened pre-kid because this is such a completely different team from Rick Carlisle's teams that, to me, anything that happened before this year doesn't really even count. And so, um, yeah, the Suns were 3-0 and this year, but we, as we discussed, man, Luka didn't play in one of those games, and, he was all, and they didn't play after they made the big Porzingis trade. So, to me – they're just two and two against Phoenix this year. This team that we're looking at right now, and so uh, I understand how this stuff may affect you psychologically, but dude, they should be feeling good right now. And man, if they can withstand the first quarter haymaker that Phoenix is going to throw in uh, in Game Five, then you know all things are possible. Yeah, and that's what's crazy. I mean, they. I think they've got the confidence now. They know winning that series against the Jazz. They had to be down coming to Dallas. There was a lot of desperation the other night on Friday night. I mean, you had to win that game. You had to. And they go out and they get that done. And then tonight, the way that they really controlled it. And again, doing it on a night where Luka wasn't special. I mean, what if what if Luka has a Luka game in, in game five? And, and he goes off for like 40-some-odd points. Like, we've seen that he's capable of doing it at any given time, which wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, this is going to be wild. And then you start looking like, okay, so the Mavs, this against Phoenix and all this history. Okay, cool. You know, Chris Paul, I, th I thought this was wild because I came across this stat the other day. That I know what you're about to say. Yeah, and, and that's what's so crazy is that in the history of the NBA in seven-game series, only 31 teams have ever come back from being down 2-0 in the playoffs. Out of 439, it's happened just 7% of the time. And somehow Chris Paul's been on four of those teams that coughed up two nothing leads. That seems, I mean, that seems wild. I like mean, think seems, about that. Only thirty one times in the history of the NBA, and he's somehow been on four of them. And so what that tells you is, in his mind, he's like, "Oh snap, really?" And you might be like, "Well, that's just Chris Paul." Nah, man. Whatever he's feeling, the rest of his team vibes off of because he's a leader. Yeah. And so it's in his head. It's somewhere. Doesn't have to be front and center, but it's there somewhere. And, you know, most of these cats, most of them, there's a few exceptions. But the human, man, the more pressure you apply, at some point they start to doubt and question themselves just a little bit. And when we're talking about elite athletes, that can be enough. So if the Mavericks, you know, uh, you know, game five is huge. We're all looking at it, I think, from a Phoenix perspective, going, well, they'll go back home. Their role players will play better. Their energy, their crowd and stuff. The Mavericks got to be thinking. Dude, if we can somehow get game five. Yeah. They'll be ripe for the taking in game six. Yeah. But, you know, dude, New Orleans had those same thoughts in, in, the, in the first, <laughs> well, in yeah, the first round. Mean, and and it, it's, it feels, and that's what's so crazy, is I did not think, I honestly did not think that sitting here on Sunday afternoon we'd be having the type of conversation that we're having. Just based on what we saw the last time we did a podcast – these two games have changed what's possible. I originally said Suns in seven. I still think, you know, and we'll see, but it, I still believe the Suns are the better team, but they haven't been in these last two games, and, and we have no idea what version of either of these teams is going to roll out. It's still, if this goes seven, it, it, you got to think it's going to be tough for Dallas to win on the road, but you never know, man. And 
Why not? not? Why not? What if, like you say, what if, what if Luka goes off in game five and they steal it and then they get to go back home for game six with a chance to close this thing down? Oh, I think the best way to win it is to win it in six. And you're like, Suns haven't lost four in a row all year. Yeah, I realize that. Uh, nobody said it was going to be easy. But I don't think you're winning game seven in Phoenix. Um, so, but I think there's there are ways for you to win, win it in six. I mean, I just do. Yeah. I mean, they, this this is what happened to them last year in the finals against Milwaukee. And so, but to do it, you need a Herculean effort in game five. And then game six, you let your crowd and the pressure on Phoenix, you know, help you do it. Yeah, man. I mean, it's the belief is there and it's hard not to believe because anytime you've got a guy like Luca. You, you believe it can happen. I mean, this is, we again, like you talk about, Phoenix didn't lose four in a row all year. They didn't lose three in a row all year. The most they ever lost was two in a row, and that only happened a couple of times to them, and we just witnessed it happen again. There's a first time for everything. Might as well lose three in a row for the first time all year to the Mavs in the playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, the thing of it is, it's, you know, we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about it, but Jason Kidd's done a terrific job of, of making adjustments throughout the Utah series, you know, and keeping them from hitting three-pointers in this series. He's made the adjustments to figure out, you know, how to put different defenders on Chris Paul to just slow him down, how to make the Suns, you know, take some shots that they don't want to take. Uh, the fact that he's not playing Dwight Powell because it's just a bad matchup with DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, the fact that he's putting Bertans in there and giving him minutes ahead of uh, Josh Green. I mean, he's just making moves, man. And uh, and they're working. And the series is uh, is tied up. And who knew? Who knew indeed? I didn't. I certainly did not at all. But this has been fun. I mean, this is this has become, you got to watch it. And now they're off, obviously, on Monday. And game five is Tuesday night. It's another one of those super late-ass tips, which suck. It'll be a 9 o'clock tip in Phoenix. And then, obviously, there has to be a game six, and that's back in Dallas on Thursday. So, we'll see how it lays out. I I, I know that it's West Coast and all that, man, but I can't stand these freaking 9 o'clock tips. All right, well, you you know, that's what happens when when – when you play in Phoenix, man, you're just going to have to deal I with it. I know. It's like playing anybody on the West Coast. It's just, <laughs> it's, just it's silliness. Um, let me ask you this, because we had this, this question, this conversation. Jalen Brunson, games one and two. Hmm. Who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson, games three and four. Uh, a little closer to what we, what we expect and what we've seen. Uh, so what, what do you think about him as we head into game five and what he's got to produce? I mean, he's still one of those guys you, you – you, You'd love to have what you got out of him in game three, obviously. I mean, he he had one of those Utah games in game three. He was okay tonight. He was obviously better than he was in games one and two. But if he can give you what he gave you tonight, then that's kind of what I think you're expecting out of him. You need to have something like that. You know, I'm almost in a sense still waiting on Spencer Dinwiddie to give us a little bit more in this series. And, and maybe you see that in game five. But... I don't know. Like, we had that conversation the other day. Brunson's one of those guys, you sure as hell want him on this team as long as you can have him. You want him to be in Dallas. But is it going to be (laughs) – can you afford it? Because somebody's going to break the bank for this guy. Basically, and I I was trying to figure out what it was. Like, you love him, but you're like, I love you at like – this sounds insane. I love you at like 25 or 26 million. Yeah. By NBA standards. I don't love you so much at 32 million. 
Because then it's like, I don't know if you if you thought about it or if you remember this. Do you remember when Mike Conley went from Memphis to Utah for thirty something million a year, yeah. and we were just like, yeah. "Well, Mike Conley is really good, but he ain't that good." Yep. He ain't like I. I feel like LeBron and those guys should be making in the thirty. Well, let me put it. I feel like superstars should be making in the thirties. And superstars, I like to spell this out for people. Because people think a lot of people are superstars. They're not. Superstars are people like Luka, who in the playoffs, mark them down for 25 or 30 a game. They're not going to give you something in single digits. Yep. I mean, that's, you know, Giannis, John Morant, none of the superstars, you know, Jason Tatum, whoever you think, they're not giving you six points, seven points in the playoffs. It's, you know, 25 or 30, and we'll, we'll go from there. Then there are stars who normally going to get you 20-something, but can occasionally throw in the off game. And then there's really good players who they might score 27, they might score 8, they might follow it up with 19, next game they might have 12. But they're really good, but you can't count on them to lift you every night. And so in my sports concepts, man, you just don't want to play really good players, superstar money. You yeah. want to play superstars, superstars money. Yep, I I would agree with that, and that's the thing is I don't know that he is on that level, but the problem, again, like we talked about in the last episode, is somebody out there will have the cap space and be like, man, well, you know, maybe he could be that guy if he could get all these minutes right. and, and we'll use him the way that he can't be used in Dallas because Luke is there. Somebody's going to throw money uh, at him. But I'd rather have him than Dinwiddie. Like, I don't want to let... See, right, yeah, my thinking yeah. is, and I think the Mavericks were like, oh, we'll let Brunson go. Dinwiddie can take his spot. We're good to go. Well, one, Brunson's a young guy. Dinwiddie's in his 30s, I think. He's only here for a couple more years. I mean, it's just, it makes more sense if you can get Brunson to get Brunson. Now, I don't follow the NBA like I follow the NFL. So I don't know that, I don't know the answer to this question, which is if you pay Brunson 32 now, like four years from now, you'd be like, oh, that's a bargain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or four years from now, you'll still be like, oh, my God. I mean, he's good, but, wow, we could have had this guy, uh, you know, for 32 me. Yeah, that's kind of where they're at with this. And, and yeah, Dinwiddie I don't think is that guy. And, and you know, they like the fact that you have a, a third ball handler on the team that can do some things. But, you know, Dinwiddie, four games into this series, I was just looking at this, he's 11 of 35 from the field. Not going to get it. Not, Not going to get no, it, buddy. Not going to get it. 11. He has made 11 shots in four games. That's for those of you who are bad at math. That's less than three shots a game that he's made. Now, he made a couple big ones tonight. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, and he made him at some time in some key moments. But he's got to uh, you need a game from I mean, during the regular season, he's averaging almost 20 a game. Uh, you need a guy, if he can get get back up to 16, 18 yep. a game efficiently uh, and uh, Jalen Brunson can do his thing, then they got a shot, man. But, yep. you know, they're in great shape. And I thought Brunson, uh, you know, I think this is a tougher matchup for him. But when he took 17 shots, he was aggressive. He had several – I mean, he drew C- CP3's last two fouls being aggressive in the paint. And uh, as long as he's going to do that, then I think he's fine. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, that's one thing. You look at this with the matchup, and, I mean, Phoenix is just a very good defensive team. They, they, they must have said it 500 times on the game today, third-best defense in the NBA this year and all that. And, yeah, I get it, you know, and they defend the perimeter really well. It's obvious Bridges can defend, and even Devin Booker is a very good defender. You know, we, we, we have that, and so I, I get that you may not have some of those as as – I guess not as much opportunity to do some of the things for Brunson and Dinwiddie that we saw like we saw in the Utah series. But, man, if one of those guys, or, again, if Luka just goes off in game five, I don't know. I'm starting to have, and this is the thing. You try not to, first things first, we got to get through game five. But we may be recording a podcast on Tuesday afternoon talking about a Mavs team coming back to Dallas up 3-2. And if you can take out Phoenix, you, you can win an NBA championship this year. Oh, dude, there's no. Uh, there's I mean, no Phoenix doubt. is the mountaintop right now in the NBA this season. They've been one of the best two teams in the NBA for the last two years. You can beat anybody if you can beat them. What's What's going to happen is if uh, if they can somehow get past Phoenix, then now some NBA experts may disagree with me. You know, they match up a lot better with uh, with Memphis and Golden State. Those games, you know, those teams, they can. I think they just feel better about playing. But those teams also play at a much faster pace and present their own sets of issues. And they would also look at Dallas the way Dallas would look at them, like, "Oh, you're all that's standing between me and a championship attempt." You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not gonna be intimidated to play Dallas. Phoenix is the best team out there. Um, you know, all the other teams, Milwaukee. You know, they all have set of problems and things they create but there's no dominant team out there except phoenix this year so if you beat phoenix that means you're capable of beating anybody i know and and that's the thing first things first man and, and we'll see how that goes but you know obviously it, 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 it's probably most likely golden state in the next round and now the john ja morant injury where he's not going to play in game four for them you know, you got to think that Golden State can take advantage of that. But we'll see. But it's exciting. I mean, this is very, very exciting because, man, again, it, I after game two, I just thought, please win a game in this series. And now all of a sudden, here I am going, I think you can win this series. Why not? This is great. Well, dude, the, the series we've been told a million times doesn't begin until the home team loses. You know, I mean, it happened. Um, actually, it was the road team loses when they lost to uh, – uh, the Clippers two years ago in yep. seven. Uh, but, you know, so we just needed to see what was going to happen in game three. And they won it, um, which I wasn't shocked because they're a good team. Um, you know, it's not like they barely got into the playoffs. Sure. Uh, so they're a good team. But, you know, game four, I figured was going to be, you know, up in the air. And uh, could they could they figure out a way to somehow get it and make it a best of three? They did that. And uh, shoot, man, it's a, it's a best of three now, and you still got the best player on the court. And so, shoot, I mean, they ought to have all kinds of confidence, man. They should. You would think that they do. And the excitement of Game 5 in Phoenix, a late-ass tip on Tuesday night, and, and we'll see how it turns out. Oh, man, it's exciting. It, it's almost as exciting as getting a bag of biltong in the mail and, and knowing that... <laughs> You've got this kick-ass, delicious snack from Brews Biltong. You, you go online, you order it at brewsbiltong.com. You use the promo code JAM15, and you get 15% off your order. 
And again, biltong is like beef jerky, but it's it's not actually beef jerky. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. Jacques and I will both tell you, and I think a lot of you guys that have tried it would vouch with this because we get pictures all the time of those of you who order it. It's more tender and it's more savory than what beef jerky is. Dude, it's succulent, it's juicy, and if you leave it on the table, your dogs might get into it, and you won't even have a chance to enjoy it. That's how good it is. Those little schnauzers can smell it right through the paper, and hey, through the through the wrapper, and you know, your dog might be eating good, and not you. Yeah, man. We had, I was just trying to find that tweet, because somebody tweeted at us and said that they had ordered some, and it came in, he goes, well... I didn't get a chance to try it because my dog got into it off the table and he never gets anything off the table. So it must be really good. <laughs> oh, it was Lamar. Lamar tweeted that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. Nah, so. Oh, you got to love it, man. But for real, Bruce Biltong, it's, it's fantastic. Really think you'll enjoy it. Place your order today at BruceBiltong.com. Promo code JAM15 every time you order. And you get 15% off at bruisebiltong.com. Also, of course, Freeway Tire Shop making this possible. JR and his guys, you know, I could tell you about it, but really the, the world's greatest spokesperson for Freeway Tire Shop <laughs> is Jean-Jacques Taylor because you always have a car there and nobody I feel like can talk to the work JR does like you do. Well, I did take it in for an inspection the other day. And an oil change, and uh, you know, man, Jared does great work, man. It's uh, it's his company. He he learned about customer service during the management program when he was at uh, Home Depot, and he brought that same thing to his to his tire business, man. And so, I take all my cars over there seemingly once a week. Uh, I, I was gonna say something, but I'm not. And so, <laughs> but, okay. But I was gonna say this: how much I spent this month. I was like, wow, that's kind of paying for the whole land itself. <laughs> <laughs> out of taylor's pocket this month probably is but uh the reality of it man is i trust those guys i trust them to diagnose whatever's wrong with my car man i trust them to fix it with quality parts which not everybody does bro and then i trust them to charge me get this man how about this a fair price Mm. i mean nobody's expecting it to be free but you're like 17 million dollars for labor really (laughs) i mean come on bro and I expect him to stand behind his work because no mechanic on the history of the earth is perfect. Sometimes you take it home, you go, hey, t- you know, two days later, start making that noise again. Oh, bring it back. There's no question, man. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, here's what it was. They fix it. They send you on your way, man. JR and Freeway Tire, they're great. Yeah. So check them out online, freewaytireshop.com. Schedule an appointment. Request a quote at Freeway Tire Shop. So let's take a quick trip around the block here because a couple of things to get into. Did you read that story that I sent you about the Roman statue or whatever that was found at Goodwill? Okay, this is the only thing I wanted to say about that. This is is all I wanted to say. I was curious whether you had a similar thought. How come this shit never happens to me? I I wonder the same thing. Like, how is this so incredibly random? And, (laughs) And so the story is, and this is a woman in Texas. At an Austin area Goodwill, this is from a couple of years ago, she came across a marble bust at Goodwill, and she purchased it for $34.99. And she said, I was just looking for anything that looked interesting. I thought, hey, that looks cool. $35, what a bargain, I'll buy it. She said she started digging around to see if it maybe had any history with it. (laughs) She has found out, and they just discovered, again, she bought this in 2018, This is something that is so old that it dates back to Roman emperor times. 
It's estimated to be about 2,000 years old and that a specialist was finally able to track it down. And apparently, it was purchased by the King King Ludwig I of Bavaria in the 1930s. And somebody stole it or somehow it got lost and it had been missing until now. <laughs> Dude. And she buys it at a Goodwill for 35 bucks. I mean, think about it. We're only in 2200. <laughs> so this thing was done two thousand years yeah. ago. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and she finds it. I mean, I mean, now what's going to happen is every time you walk in a Goodwill spot or Salvation Army, you're going to buy, buy something like that, and you're wondering why yours is not worth anything. Yeah, and so I guess because apparently the because it was such a historic piece and it actually had an original owner, she didn't get any money for it. Like it didn't go to auction or anything, and now it's on display at. You know, some, oh, at the San Antonio Museum of Art, it's on display. It's believed to be a bust of a guy known as Sextus Pompey. And Sextus? That's what his name is, Sextus. Okay. I'm just telling you what the guy's name is, man. And it'll be on display at the San Antonio Museum of Art until May of 2023. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is... This is so nuts. And then after that, it'll be sent back to Germany where it'll go on display once again, where it originally was on display in the 1950s in some place in the, in the Pompeianum Museum in Germany or something. But she didn't get paid at all for it? No, not at all. Nothing? Nothing. I don't know about all that. See, and that's the thing. I'd be like, come on, man. Really? Like, I discovered this. Like, you can buy it from me. But I don't know. Yeah. Maybe legally it was, look, you know, this is, we can prove that this is not supposed to. I, I don't know what the legal situation is with all that. I don't know. Well, until we figure it out, you can come over to my house and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd be like. I'd be like come but, you know, she was, I think she's an antiques collector or something or an artist herself. And it was probably one of those things that it, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, hey, it, it's better in a museum and, and it's fine and all that type of thing. But we all, I mean, Antiques Roadshow, we've all seen that where, you know, you, you think that you've got something that it was passed down to your family and then you go take it somewhere and they're like, actually, this is worth $4 million. <laughs> That's what we all hope for. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if my family has anything like that. My aunt used to have this plate that we thought, and it, it said Mayflower on it and it had a date. And I don't know if they ever took it anywhere to get appraised because we always wondered, like, what if that came over on the actual Mayflower? That would be worth who knows how much money. Yeah, when my mom died, I found some coins that didn't look like regular coins. And I was like, oh, maybe this is a treasure trove of, of riches right here. And I took them to my godfather, who was actually a coin collector. I have a funny story about that. And uh, he looked them up, actually. And while they were worth something, they weren't worth, relatively speaking, they weren't worth very much. Yeah. I mean, they were worth probably... Maybe a total of a couple hundred dollars. So I mean, okay. there was four, four or five of them. So that was cool. But I mean, I was like, I might as well just keep them. Uh, but the funny thing about my my guy for uh, the, the coin collector is, I mean, it's funny now. But it wasn't funny at the time. He went looking for his coins, man. And uh, you know, you go out and you look at your coins every now and then and survey them. Ah, ha ha ha! I have this and I have that. And he couldn't find them. Turns out, man, his son had sold him. Wow. <laughs> man. Now, now, it wasn't like a drug addict or anything, but 
it's a classic case of, oh, I need some cash. Dad's always collecting these coins. He'll never notice that, you know, yeah. I sold these. And so, so, of course, if you're a collector, you're like, where's my stuff at? Where's my, where's my McLaren 57? Where, where is it? Yeah. So this, this, that whole story is pretty funny because, of course, the coins are gone. You can't get them back. Yeah, there's, no, there's nothing you could do. Nope, nothing but be mad and tell your godson this story. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild, man. I mean, that that's, I don't know, like my family, my mom and dad have dining room furniture that is old as hell that I know is like from the 1800s or something. And I always wonder if that's worth anything. I have no idea. I don't know if it is or not, but it's been passed down like through my family. And and my mom has that, but it's, it's super old, you know? Uh, that probably is only worth something as a fairly family heirloom to your family. Yeah, that's what I would think. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I have no concept of stuff like that, and I've never really cared about anything. But it would be kind of wild to just discover that you had something in your possession, like a Roman bust from 2,000 years old, that you got at a freaking Goodwill. <laughs> but you hear Definitely. about, like, garage sales and stuff like that, or an estate sale, where no people just don't understand what they have. And somebody goes by and is like, oh, my God, a Honus Wagner card. Holy crap. I mean... <laughs> Yep, I keep I keep waiting for that to happen, bro. Yeah, I do too, but so far it has not happened. So a couple other things to get to. We are recording this on Mother's Day, so it'll be after Mother's Day, but happy Mother's Day to all the moms that listen and to my lady friend's mom and my mom. Uh, so happy Mother's Day to all of you. And you just sent me a text. This is kind of interesting. That prompted that thought, and it, it says, your most used mom phrase has to go on a T-shirt. What does your shirt say? Uh, my shirt probably says it's better to need to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Yeah, mine, I feel like mine would just say Matthew Ryan with a bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew you know, Ryan. Uh, another one would probably say use your head for more than a hat rat in a grease pack. Yeah, and then I, I, I heard this a lot. You, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Boy, your mom was in the mom cliche. <laughs> the wheelhouse. Matthew, don't use that kind of language. Don't be like that. You catch more flies with sugar than honey, baby. That's right. Uh, and then uh, my mom once put this once uh, she was at a PTA meeting or something. And, uh, you know, teacher was saying, hey, what's your what's the first thing your kid asks you every day you get in the car? And my mom was like, oh, what's for dinner? <laughs> so that would probably be the, the third slogan on my T-shirt. Okay. Yeah, that's... But uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the one phrase that I, always, that I always think of for whatever reason is that, that you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Yeah. Now, how is Mother's Day for you now that you're not in Dallas? I mean, you've missed I mean, some of them because you've been out of town. Yeah, nothing, man. I mean, I, I sat and watched the Mavs game and now I'm doing this. Read for a bunch this morning. So, I, I read this morning for like four hours. Good grief. Yeah, I finished I finished a book and then I started another one and I got to, I'm almost like halfway through that. So, right, now, did you call your mom? You send her some roses? No, I, I, yeah, we send them some stuff and then I'll call her whenever we get done with this. I'll call her this evening. Yeah, all right. And I'm nice, you know. I, I I'll I'll text other moms that I know, and and you know, big Happy Mother's Day. I'll text my lady friend's mom, that type of thing. So, yeah, I sent out quite a few this morning. Uh, I was trying to. Uh, I'm going to count how many I sent out. 
One, two, three, four, five, wow. six, seven, you. eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. I sent out 23 today, Matt. That's a lot, man. And I, hey, 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 hey. I did not copy and paste. Okay. Some I sent, you know, just enjoy your day. Love you. Some uh, somewhere a little more detailed. And then um, I've got three friends who are having their first Mother's Day without their mom. And so they got, they got some lengthy texts yeah. about, you know, how to. How to roll with the grief today and, you know, don't try to fight it, you know, but enjoy the good times and all of that. Because uh, somebody whose mom has been gone for a minute, uh, you don't ever really get over that mess, bro. You just learn how to live with it and deal with it and, uh, you know, and go from there. But uh, for the people who've lost this their first or second one, man, it can be really, really hard, a really funky yeah. day. Yeah, I bet. So uh, I I just try to touch base with those people and uh, make sure they're good or as good as they're going to be today. Yeah, I, I I didn't send out 23 texts. I sent I, I think I sent out like three. So Well, <laughs> but you know, most of these were I mean, not most of them, all of them were either relatives, you know, cuz obviously you got the relatives yeah, you're closest yeah. to. And then, you know, friends I know for a minute and then, you know, if I got colleagues I know who have, who are moms or whatever, I send them a quick note. That's very Every, kind. Everybody, everybody likes to feel good when they get sure. a Mother's Day or a Father's Day card or yeah. a note or text or something that says, hey, I just thought of somebody else. I need to send one to right quick. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I was. But no, I do, I do think as a parent, like Father's Day, I don't expect anything, but it is nice when people say, hey, happy Father's Day and like acknowledge that that is a role that you play in life. I think anytime that that happens, it, it can always be nice. And moms especially. I mean, they're such wonderful people generally. You know, we all love our moms. And for the most part, I would think most people do. And I think it's nice to stop down and, and just kind of express a little bit of that appreciation, which is nice. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt, man. So the other thing to get into here is what you all have been asking for. And so this is spoiler alert out the ass, okay? <laughs> we are going to discuss right now the final of Ozark, the seven episodes that dropped a couple of weeks ago. It has now been, I think, a little over two weeks. So if you have not watched the final episodes of Ozark, you might want to fast forward through this because that's what we're going to talk about. Because I will tell you, I, I thought to me, the way that they wrapped it up and the way that they ended it, it made a lot of sense to me. They tied up a lot of the loose ends with some of the killings that happened. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just kind of thought it, it, like the whole show had some shock value to it and they were never afraid to kill anybody. And the whole time I was like, man, like surely no way the birds just get away with this. Right. They got to go through some pain. Some agony. Why well, I thought really? it, it, it it ends up with either one of them is killed or they're in prison, and yeah, that's, it and it be. doesn't end up like that. And it, but and I actually liked. I will say that to me it was almost like an like a tip of the hat to the Sopranos a little bit with the fade to black there at the end, right. and th then the gunshot in the dark. 
But I think they wanted you to believe that he had come out and killed that dude, and they didn't want you to see it since he was a teenager. Oh, that could be because they didn't want to. They didn't want everybody else to know. No, well, maybe I don't know, but like to me, it was kind of. I mean, if you think about it, the whole thing with the birds, the entire the entire show was built on. And you know what? I mean, as as crazy ass backwards as that family was, they loved each other. I mean, they had they did it. Marty was doing this for his family, defending his family. Wendy was trying to do it in her own interpretations of all of that. They always told the kids it's about the family. It's about our family and protecting each other. And so the way that it wrapped up made a lot of sense to me that Jonah did what he did because he was in a situation where we, it's, it's about the family. We're the birds. We're right. leaving the Ozarks. We're finally getting out of here, and it's, it's, we're going to protect our family. No, I think it was... Uh... I think it was, uh, it was an, it, when you say it like that, it makes sense. Um, you know, but I was like, shh, I'm, I'm like you. I kept waiting for something to happen to one of them and for one of the birds to, uh, to take an L and go see that big bird in the sky. Yeah, that's but, what I thought. <laughs> but it, it never happened. But they set it up perfectly. They got rid of their one drug problem, and now they can go. And when that event went off, and they're going to be like this power family, and who knows, maybe 10 years from now they'll do a sequel where one of the birds is running for president. Who knows? But it, I, I, I liked the way it wrapped up. And, and, yeah, it sucks that Ruth got it. <laughs> but I wasn't surprised because – and I, I thought it was some foreshadowment because the last episode when she wakes up and she walks outside and she's like seeing like all of her dead relatives and stuff and the way life used to be. I even said, I go, I wonder if this is her life flashing before her eyes and this is it. Mm -hmm. And she was talking, spent a lot of time talking to Wyatt, the ghost. Yep. And hanging out and, and all of that. Still, though, I'm like, oh, I wonder how she's going to get out of this. This doesn't seem like a good way for her to get out of this. <laughs> I was like, what kind of kooky, kooky way are they going to free her from this from this predicament? And lo and behold, it, it didn't happen. She didn't get freed. Yeah, man, I was like, there is no way you get away with killing somebody that high up in the cartel. There's just no way. And and she didn't. The one chick cracked and told her who it was. Dude, and, did she give it up easy or what? I mean, my God. And you could see Marty looking at her and looking at her. And she's like, okay, it was Ruth Langmore. She did it. She's the one. I was in my office and she came in and killed her. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> And then they're like, is this true? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not much you can do. And then again, like the birds, as much as Marty wanted to save Ruth, and that's really what he was trying to do, she right. wasn't a bird. She wasn't his daughter. And that's why at the end, like as much as he wanted to try to do something for somebody like that, he realized like, this is my family. I have to protect them no matter what. It, it, and he was just telling, you know, he kept telling Wendy, I mean, this is just how it is. Like, like there's no, we can't do anything. Otherwise, one of us will die. Yeah. Our kids will yeah. die. And that's what it became down to. And, you know, in the end, I thought it was one of those things, as sad as it was, because I think a lot of people rooted for Ruth in the sense of she was building that house and she was going to have a pool and they were going to have all these things. But the Langmore curse, right? Like, that's not what happens to the Langmores. You don't get to escape because you're a part of this random, trashy, back words world of the Ozarks. You don't get to escape that. Uh, that's a that's really a good example of just how hard it is to get out of the situation you're mm -hmm. born into. Yeah, like in part because those are all the people who influence your decisions 
and stuff when you're three and four and five and then you take that to be 10 and a teenager and, all, and it's just so hard to overcome your circumstance when you're born in that type of environment that ruth was that ultimately she couldn't avoid it even even though her heart was good you know all the other stuff you just couldn't get past it and it was always something dragging you back or pulling you back and ultimately leading to your death and I, and I do love that the way that it had to be that Ruth was Ruth till the very end, never was afraid, never showed fear. I mean, basically just screams at her, well, then you're going to fucking do it, you know, and her little Ruth voice. And sure enough, there it is. And yeah, she fucking did. It. Yeah, it, <laughs> she did. You know, and, and I know some people didn't like the ending, but I kept thinking about it. And I thought, well, how else would like what would have been an ending of Ozark that people would have liked better? You know, did you want Ruth to survive? To me, that wouldn't have made sense. The way that they put everything in motion, it makes sense that the bird survived because Marty was always the smartest guy in the room. You know, maybe you wanted Wendy to get killed, but what, what purpose would that have served to the conclusion of the show, honestly? Right. I was, uh, I was surprised. The, uh, see, even at the end, I was surprised the cartel leader got it because I was like, well, maybe, uh, I mean, I yeah. keep saying that, keep trying to get him, but I mean, you got to be a badass to kill him. Yeah, you, you killed him, and then you killed, like, the number one helper of the cartel that was protecting everybody in the cartel. You can't, I mean, I thought when they killed the second guy, I was like, there's no way that both these people are surviving this. Yeah. Like, you just, you, like, the cartel, you're lucky that, like, the, your body parts of yours aren't being mailed to relatives. I mean, that's the cartel, man. So I, I actually thought it was very interesting that the birds are leaving the Ozark you know, they kind of arrived in the Ozarks and created all this chaos and they left it with chaos. And somehow, like they always did the entire way through, they were able to figure out a way to get out of all of it. It's am- I, I, I think it's a great show. I'm kind of curious. I might give it some time to go back at some point and watch it all the way through again. But what a good show. Very, very good show Ozark was in its totality. No, it was, uh, it was terrific. It was one of the best. It's, and now that it's all done... You know, maybe next summer during the slow period, it'd be good to go back and watch yeah. it start to finish and really pick up on some of the things you missed or some of the foreshadowing you missed earlier and then watch it all as one complete set. Um, to me, that'd be cool. That was good. Yeah. But no, it's, uh, it's up in there. It's up in there amongst one of my favorite shows. And I liked it from the jump. I didn't have to get into it. I thought yeah, it I did too. Yep. I thought it was terrific from the jump. And uh, what's his face who played Bird? What's his game? Who, Jason Bateman? Yeah, I mean, he's terrific, man. Yeah, man, he's phenomenal. Well, you know, even Laura Linney, like, Wendy became a character. I, I, I think most of us hated Wendy. She reminded me, her trans, she, she had a Walt, uh, what's-his-face transformation. She went from kind of innocent along for the ride to yeah. being, like, the most mean-spirited. Like ruthless, ruthless as hell, yeah. Yeah, but Jason Bateman, the understated way he played that character was... Uh, yep. was he nailed it. And then, obviously, the actress, Julia Garner, who plays Ruth, who was phenomenal. I mean, what a phenomenal character. And there were so many great characters in the show overall. Ozark. I mean, I, it's, I think it's one of the best. It may be the best Netflix show that they've ever done, even more so than House of Cards. Uh, yeah, if, if, we, if we were to divide it into net, net, Netflix originals. Uh, dude, it was fantastic, man. I ain't got nothing bad. To, I, I mean, it fit everything I want in the show. Yeah, but I mean, the un- the unpredictable murders is what makes a show go. To me, makes that type of episodic show go because if you don't have that, then you're just like, 
okay, this is cool. I mean, it's the problem with going to the movies where yeah. Liam Neeson Liam Neeson is the star character, like or Denzel, like whatever happens, I don't care how tight it is, he's going to be around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing. It's just a matter of what creative way they get him out of this predicament. But with episodic TV and you're killing random people, that to me is what, what makes the show. Yeah, man. And they killed, I mean, they, and the killings that they have in Ozark, a lot of the times you don't ever see them coming and they're so sudden that they're just, they're stunning. I mean. Okay. What, what was the best killing to you? The, or what was your top three? Well, the top two right off the top of my head, and I can't remember if this was season one or season two, when Darlene blows away the original Mexican guy, like the cartel guy that comes down, I, yeah. I was, that blew my mind. <laughs> yep, that would have to be one of them. Because one, you, you there was like, it's the cartel. Like, you're not going to blow, and she didn't even give a rat's ass. She just blew away the dude. And then the second one is when they killed her, their lawyer, Helen. If her, yeah, Helen. Dude. At the yeah. very end of season, whatever that was, Two. the season before this, I was like, what? See, to me, that was number one. Because I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah, that might have been number one for sure. But both of those are the two that immediately jump out to me. Uh, and didn't Darlene kill like some random guy too? She yeah, she killed a gun. bunch. The random dude that she shot <laughs> was... I can't, he was like a fat guy. Or nah, a I remember guy. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. But she's just like, boom, he's gone. Yep. I was like, what is this? Yeah, and I will say, I mean, even in like the, the recent season when Javi shot the cop that came knocking on the door. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't expect that. I thought that he would just get rid of him somehow and be like, oh, no, you know, I don't know. And, and he was just like, whatever, I'll kill a cop. <laughs> like, God, man. Dude, the randomness is uh, was insane. It's it's pretty awesome. So Ozark, two thumbs up all the way through. And and again, I know the ending. I think some people felt like the the fade to black ending was weird, but the way it wrapped up to me tied up everything for them to leave the Ozarks and go back to Chicago and become that political type family or whatever the hell they're building with their foundation. And now they've got dirt on people and it, and they've got power and it's gonna work. Yeah, it was a phenomenal show, bro. It was. Uh, Laura Lenny, she did the damn thing. She did. And, uh, what What do you think about her dad? Oh, man. The, the dude. John Boy. He's always John Boy to me. What is that? Swiss Family Robinson? Man, it's the Waltons. The Waltons. Yeah, okay. Whatever, man. I didn't watch the show. I mean, but I know who you're talking about. Well, I grew up with it, and he is forever John Boy Walton. I can't get I can't get past it. Yeah, Richard Thomas is the actor's name, and he's been in a ton of different stuff, but... You know what? I'll be honest with you. I thought the father was the the prototypical evangelical level type of Christian who is doing it to manipulate people and using it as a curtain to hide his own insecurities while manipulating people that aren't as intelligent as he is. Yeah, it came out during that scene with Ruth. Yeah, it did. <laughs> It sure did. Don't you use that language with me, young lady. And he's this closet alcoholic, and he probably did some other crap. And, you know, he realized, oh, I can get some power in this church because these people, I'm smarter than them. And so he used right. religion as kind of a weapon. Yep, it happens. Yeah, it does. It happens a lot. I mean, Tammy Faye and all those people, that, that movie that we watched, you know. Right. That I was telling you about. So, I, I mean, all in all, I just the, the characters and the acting in this is elite level, man. I mean, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal show. And, and now it's done and wrapped up and I'm good. I thought I was cool with the ending. 
I will tell you what else is phenomenal, and that is Smokey John's Barbecue. If you guys haven't had a chance to get over there yet, you need to. Go try that jam session bowl. It's on the secret menu. Like So for those of you that are maybe new podcast listeners, if you're in the DFW area, Smokey John's Barbecue is on Mockingbird just north of downtown Dallas. It's in between Lovefield Airport and 35. When you go in there, they have a, a bowl, and they created a dish that's only available for podcast listeners. It is not on the menu. It's on a secret menu. So when you walk in and you order it, you'll look around. People will look at you, and don't worry. They know what you're talking about. Dude, it's fantastic. It's the jam session bowl. Um, what is it? Mac and cheese or mashed potatoes as a base. You yeah, your choice. choice. Five, yeah. five, five smoked meats, man. You get two of them. Then they drizzle it to all kind of stuff you find on the baked potatoes. Fantastic, man. And I love it because, you know, I like to save money. Hey, two people can eat off of it, and then you've got leftovers. Yeah, look at that. It is delicious. And I, I love these guys, man. I mean, Juan and Brent, they're fantastic. They listen. You can go in and talk to them about the podcast, and, and they know what you're talking about because they listen. And, and they're, they're good people. It's a phenomenal local family-owned business, and the best part is the food is just damn good. Even if you don't get the jam session bowl, I mean, you could order something off the menu. I don't know why you would, but you could. And even that's going to be amazing. Whatever you get there. <laughs> At Smokey John's Barbecue, and keep in mind, because I know, because I I put I put their barbecue. I love their barbecue sauce, man. I put it on all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, you drink it <laughs> right at the bottle. <laughs> that is true. That's, I have done that before. That's Matt. I mean, I've I've put their barbecue sauce on stuff that I don't think normal people put barbecue sauce on. <laughs> like one of my favorite snacks that I do at home is I'll get a Triscuit and then I'll put a little small square of cheese and then a little piece of turkey and eat it like that. And sometimes I get their barbecue sauce out and I put a little dab of Smokey John's barbecue sauce on it. Hey, man, it's whatever works for you. Because it's that's that good. You, that's what you got to do. I'm a big fan of it. And you can get that online at SmokeyJohns.com. Click on Smokey's Market and you can order their barbecue sauce, their barbecue rub, whatever, and they'll ship it to you wherever you are. Smokey John, support them because they've been great partners for us and, and we really appreciate what they do. So a couple of quick things before we wrap it up. First, did you happen to randomly watch the Kentucky Derby over the weekend or no? I ain't going to never randomly watch the Kentucky Derby, but bro, I heard so many people talking about it. I went back and watched the video about 10 times. Yeah, because you had to. Like, I, I did not purposely watch it. I accidentally watched it because we were at a local brewery, and it was on. And I was like, oh, look at this. The Kentucky Derby's they're about to drop the gates. Here we go. And right. the, the horse that won it, Rich Strike, had the second longest odds in the history of the Kentucky Derby for a winner. By the time the race started, he went off as an 80-to-1 and he won the damn thing. And the way he won it from where he came from, like down the stretch, I mean, it was badass. And, and I don't know anything about horse racing. Do not care about it. Did not try to purposely watch this. But, man, for those two minutes, I was watching. Dude, the thing about it was uh, he he only got into the race because somebody got disqualified or had yeah. to drop out the day before at the deadline. So he wasn't even supposed to be in the race. And he's the longest long shot. And then the way his jockey rode him, I mean, it's like he was driving. He's, he's, I mean, if you go back when he starts to make his run, you're like, how could he possibly make a run? Because he's, he's surrounded by like three or four horses. Yeah. There's no room for him. Matter of fact, it's almost like he slowed down to let some room create on the outside so he could get outside. 
And once he got outside, man, he accelerated. But then he had to make another move inside before he could get outside again and run free. And it was, uh, it's, I mean, that was the most amazing race most people have ever seen. Oh, there's no doubt. And, like, the aerial view of it, if you get a chance to find that on Twitter, where they've got the aerial view to the call, and you can really see what you just described about how he does these things and makes the break for it. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my, because we're sitting there watching it, you know, and, and it, they call it the most exciting two minutes in sports. And most of it, the Kentucky Derby is hours of pageantry and partying and pompous bullcrap. But for two minutes, like, you're just sitting there watching it. Like, oh, my God, this is cool. All right. Awesome. And, and the fact that it was an 80 to 1. And I thought, I, I made a joke because I told the lady, we were sitting there, and I go, oh, my God, I can't believe it. She goes, what? I go, I put $1,000 on him just in case. And she's like, did you really? <laughs> I was like, no, I didn't do that. Come on. What makes you think I put $1,000 on a bit? <laughs> on an 80 to 1 uh, horse race. I mean, there's no way. But again, like we were talking about the Roman head, like that's, you know, that's the one thing where you're like, all right, 80 to 1. Here's 100 bucks. Why not? Just to see what happens. And you kind of wish that you had done that because you'd be rich. It's amazing. The other thing over the weekend is the Dallas Stars, man. And I have watched every single minute of the first three games. Well, that's not true. I forgot. I fell asleep in the second intermission the other night when they were right. up one nothing. But I saw the first two periods, and then I watched the third one when I woke up in the morning. But I mean, this is stunning. I mean, Calgary is so good during the regular season. They have depth. They can score. They were one of the best-scoring teams in the entire NHL. Dallas came in as the lowest scoring team in the playoffs. They had a negative goal differential in the regular season. And I'm going to tell you straight up, Dallas has been the better team in all three games, except for the first five minutes of game one, when Calgary came out in the series and just blitzed them and they scored and went up one, nothing and Dallas could never catch them outside of that. I mean, that's, what's crazy. Dallas is the better team in the series and has been, this is not a fluke. I think the surprising thing is that they've, you know, what is it? They, they've they been able to shut them down offensively. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Ottinger. Uh, you know, it's yep. funny. I think he started as a third guy, ended up as a starter. And now he's fulfilling the promise everybody thought he had. And uh, you got a goalie who's going to make it happen, bro. You can make it happen in the playoffs. Yeah. Especially the hockey playoffs. Yep, and, and he has done some things. I mean, he stopped the breakaway, stone-cold breakaway the other night. And, you know, the thing of it is, again, Jake Ottinger was, is the future. He was supposed to be the future. He's a first-round draft pick on a goalie. They just didn't think that this would be the year that he would be ready to be the full-fledged starter, that they would kind of have him maybe back up, you know, and maybe next year he could be the starter. Well, he became the starter this season. He's been phenomenal, and he has been awesome. I mean, he has been awesome in this series. The dude has given up three goals in three games to the Calgary Flames, who are one of the highest-scoring teams in the NHL. Dude, um, that's what's required, one, to pull an upset. Two, if, if you're going to win the series, dog, that's, that's what's required. And we all know that hockey, man, is much like the NBA. You're, people only remember what you did in the playoffs. Uh, you know, other sports, the regular season seems to matter a little bit more, but hockey, yeah. bro, uh, and basketball, your legacy and all that stuff is tied to the playoffs. Yep. And so, you know, Ottinger, hopefully he's got a long career, but this is already where you make your money, man, and where you separate yourself. It's playoff hockey, and he's doing it. 
And they got a good defense in front of them with uh, Klingberg and with uh, your boy, your boy uh, Heskinen and, and those cats. But uh, they're throwing doubt in the, in the Flames' mind. And we all know, man, hockey's a weird sport. Top seeds get upset all the time yeah. in the hockey playoffs. Yep. yep. It is not unusual. I mean, one of the years the Kings won the Cup – what was that? I can't remember which year it was, but about 10 years ago, that one of the years that they won, they were the eight seed and, yeah. and came in and won the cup like that. If you get a hot goaltender, you can ride them for a while, man. And it is, it's really interesting because you look at this series and the Stars have scored six goals, one of those being an empty netter. So out of those six goals, Joe Pavelski has three of them. And He's doing that thing. For a team that everybody said really is just one line that scores, well, it's Pavelski's line, and they're doing that. They're, they're really not getting anything from any other line, but they're doing it, and Ottinger has been so good. I mean, he, he had, what was it, I think, 29 saves the other night in the shutout. He had 39 saves last night when they were bombarding him, 39 saves on 41 shots. Even in game one, and like I said, game one was unfortunate because, man, they they dominated the Stars for about the first seven minutes of that game. And he had 25 saves in that game on 26 shots. So, I don't what, know. Uh, as a guy who hasn't seen him play very much this year, what would you say makes him good? I mean, I, I don't know anything about the technical aspects of hockey goaltending, but he's big. I mean, he's a big, tall guy, and... That usually, when you're bigger and taller, that can help. But to me, you, you look at, again, it's, it's like the potential that you kind of mentioned. Everybody thought that he would be this way. And the fact that, you know, Marty Turco was kind of a homegrown goalie for the Stars, but never really had tremendous playoff success. And by the time he, by the time he had an opportunity to come in, he was already in his latter 20s. Ottinger's 23 years old. All right, so he's a young man who can go for a minute. Yeah, I mean, he's he, 23 years old, and this is really the first season they're giving him a shot. And, you know, goalies, th th it's not abnormal for goalies to come into the league and have spent a lot of time in the minor leagues. So the fact that he can play at this level right now, you may be looking at a, at a future Vesna Trophy-level winning goalie as he continues to develop and become better and better as he moves into his mid-20s and late-20s. You know, you, you think about Turkle was really, when he started with the Stars, was 27 when he finally got his real shot and then for like four what six seven years probably until he was 33 34 he was a pretty damn good goalie but he got better in his, around 30 than he was in his late 20s and Ottinger's doing this thing right now with an opportunity we'll see what happens in the next game I mean obviously game four is in Dallas but man the way the stars are playing the way he's playing I I thought that they might get swept on paper walking in and they they might damn well win this thing that would be amazing. That would blow now, my I mind. Think, <laughs> I think uh, uh, it still feels like they got to get some scoring from another line or another person or somebody who's got to do it. Yeah. Um, it just seems like you like you can't win a series against a team like Calgary with one line and Ottinger. But I don't know. Hot goalies can do something to you. And, you know, the thing about hot goalies is, one, they feed your team. And, two, they just suck the life out of the other team because you're like, oh, my God, what do we have to do to score a friggin' goal? Yep. And so if you can put one up and get up and make them play from behind, you just put so much pressure on. Plus, they're the favorites anyway, man. So it's a, it was a good weekend for Dallas playoff teams. So. It was a very good weekend for Dallas playoff teams, like a, a crazily, oddly good weekend for Dallas playoff teams that I, especially with the Stars, the Mavs being down 2-0 and then coming back to tie the series. But – 
you know, you just never know, man. I mean, like you said, hockey is a weird-ass thing. E- even over in the Eastern Conference, you look at the Florida Panthers, who a lot of people thought might win the Cup, and the Florida Panthers are down two games to one to the Washington Capitals. So it, it's... Who the hell knows, man? I mean, the Penguins, the Penguins and the Rangers. The Rangers, the Pens are down two games to one to them. So there's all these things happening in the world of hockey right now that weren't supposed to be happening. And, you know, maybe the Mavs and the Stars will both make a run here. That'd be pretty badass. That'd be fantastic. Uh, But, you know, the thing about hockey, man, is the the puck bounces so crazily that even at 3-1, if they were to go up, I'd still be like, man. Yeah, you never know. Hockey is like – Hockey is the one sport to me where it does, none of that matters until you win the fourth game. Like teams come back from 3-0, they come back from 3-1 with enough frequency that it never feels like a hockey thing is over because if your goalie gets hot even in the middle of a series, yeah. everything changes. Yeah, that's why playoff hockey is the best. I mean, it's, it's just so intense, and you've seen this series. I mean, just the intensity. These teams obviously don't like each other. I mean, the, the constant scuffling. There's been multiple fights. It's been, it's been intense, man, and the Stars are bringing it. And it's, you know, kind of like we talked about tip of the hat to Jason Kidd and what he's doing, Rick Bonus as well. I mean, he's he's coached more either as an assistant or a head coach than any coach in hockey history. The guy's seen some things. Dude, he's, uh, I mean, there's a reason why they brought him back. I was was like, hmm, can you really bring a guy back off of just one interim playoff success? But apparently that was a good move. Yeah, apparently. Uh, he he (laughs) He hadn't panicked during the season and, you know, the fight to get into the playoffs is such that you forget they were really like 16 games over 500. It's not like they sucked. No, it no, they're just, not trash or anything, no. You know, it was just like it was, the fight to get in was just rough and rugged. And um, so, you know, they're in, and now they're making it happen, and now they got a chance to take a stranglehold on the uh, on a series. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a good team. They play very good defensively, but again – you know, they get goal, good goaltending, but the fact, like you you mentioned it, and the reality of it is at some point, somebody in another line is going to have to step up. And, and, and maybe Pavelski can just keep doing this, which that blows my mind too, that Joe Pavelski is the star's best player and has been in the league for like 15 years or whatever it is now and is 37 years old. <laughs> Dude, sometimes it's that experience, man. He's just in the right place at the right time because he's working his ass off to get in the right spot at the right time. He plays like how I play. He's like the he's like a a, a better version of Brendan Morrow. Yep, that's what I mean. A down in front of the goal, irritant, you know, always mucking it up, creating his own stuff. And uh, if you don't put a body on him, you got problems. A grinder, yes. as, as you might describe. He likes to grind it out in front of the net. So there you go, Mavs and Stars. Stars play Monday night, by the way, is game four back in Dallas. So be looking forward to that. Mavs play Tuesday night. We'll be back with you again later on this week. Who knows? Talking a little Mavs, talking a little Stars, maybe some Rangers and the Cowboys, who are always never without drama. Who, who knows what random wreck or something is going to happen this week in the next couple of days <laughs> that the Cowboys are involved in. Hey, man, be positive. You never know. It is the Dallas Cowboys. What would Dallas Cowboys be without the drama? They'd be, I don't know, they'd be some other team that wasn't nearly as interesting. (laughs) Exactly. So we'll see how it is. But everybody have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you again here in a couple of days. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. 
Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.